welcome back pool fans from across the country and around the world. You are listening to American Billiard Radio. Today is October 16th, 2014, and my name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week. We have another great show for you lined up. Uh, We're going to be talking with um, Mr. Colin Turi of Detroit. He is the one uh, responsible for the new design of the Brunswick Gold Crown 6 table that is apparently uh, slated to be released this coming year. So yeah, we decided to talk to him a little bit about that. And uh, you know, Moscone Cup is coming up. So um, we were talking with Matchroom when they revealed uh, who the U.S. ref is going to be this year. So Mark Cantrell is going to be speaking with him. See if you can figure out who it is uh, before we get to that segment. Um, and yeah, we're going to hear from Allison and uh, JT out in New York. And uh, But first, we're going to go to Mike Howerton, who is on site in Virginia at the U.S. Open Tournament for an update. What's going on, Mike? Hello, everyone. Welcome to American Billiard Radio. I'm Mike Howerton with AZ Billiards, doing a slightly different show this week. Calling into the call-in line without a guest, just giving everybody an update on the U.S. Open. We're into day four here at the U.S. Open at the Marriott in Chesapeake, Virginia. The big story the first couple of days was definitely a break. Uh, the spots on the table had been moved up to where the one ball would be if you were racking the nine ball on the spot if that makes any sense. Well, it certainly didn't make sense to some of the players who were trying to figure out where things were supposed to be racked, and they look kind of awkward reaching out. I heard one player say that their body just wasn't long enough to reach that far out onto the table to rack the balls that high. Now, of course, with the spot moved to where the one ball would be, where do you spot balls when you make them on the break? Because the nine ball doesn't count if it goes in the bottom two pockets. That was another issue. Uh, as the players figured out where the spot was and how that was working, then the question came down to the break itself, and a lot of players are struggling with this. I'm seeing a lot of players scratching on the break, trying different things. A number of times a match will turn out to to just have become a back-and-forth affair where the player who isn't breaking will get to the table after a dry break or a scratch and take control of the table, win that game, and then break and break dry or scratch and the other player then controls things. So a number of matches, including, for example, the Tommy Kennedy-Torsten Homan match that took place on the winner's side a couple nights ago, that was one where, I mean, everyone cheers for Tommy, and, and they hope that he does well, although we certainly didn't want to see Torsten lose either. But Tommy got down two racks, and much, much more so than you would even see in an alternating break format. Uh, the player who was not breaking seems to be at a big advantage. Um, the player, the sorry, the tournament itself. Maybe the theme for the tournament has been uh, the the tough, tough field that is at this tournament. Uh, anyone seems to be upsettable, if if that's a word that you can use. Uh, right now, the one loss side is just littered with with top players, Ralph Sake, Alex Pagulayan, thanks to a shocking loss to Sky Woodward, uh, Earl Strickland, who lost to Shane Van Boning last night, 
Raj Hundal, he lost early, has been fighting his way through the one-loss side. Jason Shaw lost a hill-hill heartbreaker last night to Corey Duell, who was having a great tournament. Uh, Johnny Archer, who he's played for, for so many years, the one-loss side means nothing to him. Uh, Niels Fyan, he lost his first-round match. He's been playing strong ever since then. Uh, Mika Eminen, who who just got ran over by Nick Vandenberg last night. Mika could not buy a roll. He'd break, he'd scratch, he'd, he'd have a what looks to be a manageable table, and he'd, he'd get out of line or he'd hook himself. It, it was not his finest match. But, you know, part of that was also Nick Vandenberg. Nick just jumped on every opportunity that he had and and ran out with ease. Nick is down to the final... 16 on the winner's side, and he could very easily move uh, further than that. Uh, the winner's side, we still have a number of top seeds. Bustamante, Torsten Holman, like I mentioned earlier, Corey Duell, Nick Vandenberg, Mike DeShane looking very strong, Jason Klatt, the final Canadian undefeated player, Efren Reyes, who had a match with Jose Perica uh, yesterday sometime, and everyone was looking at it to be this great big rivalry that's been going on for years, and Perico's going into the Hall of Fame tomorrow, and you know, would this be the time that he, he stopped Efren? Uh, no, he didn't stop Efren. Efren has looked very strong at this tournament, uh, ran over Radislav Babica last night, <clears throat> and he's going to have to look strong later today when he plays Denis Arcoyo on the winner's side. <clears throat> In possibly the the match that may determine the winner of this event, in my opinion, uh, Darren Appleton and Shane Van Boning are both one win away from having to face off against each other. So one of these tough, tough players is going to end up on the one-loss side. Uh, Shane has looked strong all week. He, he went hill-hill with Rob Saez, and really the pool gods kind of kind of gifted him that match. Uh, Rob was up 10-8 and made the nine ball against Shane, but it was a funny angle, and he went three rails and scratched, and Shane never laid him back to the table. Uh, and then after that match, Shane came back and beat Earl. It was 11-7, but uh, really it didn't seem that close. Uh, no real theatrics. Shane just calmly went about his business, which he's, he's apt to do. On the other hand, you've got Darren Appleton, who has looked dominant all week. Uh, looking right now at, at the list of players that he's played, uh, So Shaw, 11-2, Hunter Lombardo, 11-3, uh, Kazakis, 11-4. Hasn't allowed an opponent past four. He'll play his, uh, his partner, Carl Boys, this evening. Again, one match away, he and Shane Appleton, yes, Shane Appleton, Shane Van Boning and Darren Appleton could face off. Could be a, a very important match to determine who the final winner of this event is. Uh, we're only beginning on day four, certainly not far enough into it to pick a favorite. A lot of tough, tough players still on the, the winner's side and the one-loss side. Um, all Well, not all the matches, but select matches are available on the AccuStats pay-per-view at accu-stats.com. And, of course, we're doing real-time scoring and online brackets at AZ Billiards. That's it, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Hopefully, we'll have a U.S. Open. Well, definitely, we'll have a U.S. Open winner by then. Thanks.
Hey, this is Thorsten, and you're listening to American Billiard Radio. Welcome back, everyone. I'm talking with Mr. Colin Turi of Detroit, the gentleman whose design has been chosen for Brunswick's new Gold Crown 6 table. Um, you know what? Uh, I understand that you just graduated this past year. Um, what is it that made you decide to get into this type of design work to begin with? Uh, pretty interesting. Um, I have always been sort of involved with furniture. I've been making it since high school in a sort of um, hobby scenario with a woodshop class and whatnot, mm -hmm. and um, <clears throat> went into building uh, as I was getting ready to graduate high school. And I talked to my art teacher, and she kind of asked me why I wasn't making furniture um, because I was so passionate about it in woodshop. Mm, and, um, okay. and so so she recommended my undergrad school, College for Creative Studies, which is downtown in Detroit. Mm. And basically, uh, after graduating that, um, I got hired into a design position uh, in New York City um, for a large ar architectural interior design firm. Okay. And sort of, uh, work, I worked there for two years, and then um, I kind of missed making things, and yeah. uh, ended up ended up sort of yearning for that. And so I applied to a grad program that would allow me to uh, get back into building and also more of the artful side of design. And uh, Aaron had just that, and so they accepted me, and uh, I left New York and went back into into that and that allowed me to sort of expand my you know knowledge if you will sure sure how did you like it in indianapolis compared to detroit and new york <laughs> so yeah i mean they're all polar extremes uh, you know new york was its own bear but uh it, was, it felt right after after leaving um you know indianapolis is a really nice even pace you know, and people actually thank you for holding doors. So that's yeah, nice. yeah, this is very true. <laughs> this is very true. Yeah. Same way in Chicago. You know, you, you be polite to people, and they and they wonder why you're being polite. To. <laughs> what's wrong with this guy? I know. It's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you being nice to me? Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so you're at the Heron School, and um, one day Brunswick shows up with an idea. <clears throat> so Brunswick shows up to the Basile Center. And they, I believe Brent from Brunswick, the, uh, the president, yes. came and talked to uh, Catherine, who was running it at the time, and, and <clears throat> came to them with an idea to help them rebrand the Gold Crown series tables. Okay. And I, from what I was told, uh, the conversations were along the lines of <clears throat> Brunswick's needs for um, a more artful table, you know, they didn't want to go to a industrial design school because they feared that it would just be very generic mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of, you know, kind of lose the essence of what they're about. Mm -hmm. So they came to Heron um, specifically to approach it in a more artful way. Gotcha. And, uh, yeah, so we got involved um, after that. Well, and did they say, did, I, and I'm, I'm wondering about this, as far as the parameters for the design, I, uh, I know we spoke before about the... Uh, uh, what do you call it? The using the the CAD design from the Gold Crown mm -hmm. Five, but did they say specifically 
you can't do this or you have to do this? Was there any, any you know, parameters to the design at all? Or was it just, it still has to function as a pool table, basically? Yeah, so I think uh, this is what really excited me, too, about the project was um, that Brent kind of came in and said, like, you know, just don't, you know, basically don't screw up the game, you know, don't change the things that need to be there. You know, we, we're talking about the rail and then the right. pockets and all that stuff. But anything else is fair game. And so you're basically given a blank canvas, and uh, and that really made it more exciting for us. Sure. Um, in the in the yeah. Well, you know, and I've had some. I, I mentioned uh, this on the AZ Billiard discussion forum. The fact that we were going to do this interview, and so some questions were posed, and one of the questions was that um, about the structure. Um, there was a couple of questions about the structure. Um, one of them is on the previous gold crown model, there was a sort of a mid rib underneath the slate that ran from one leg set over to the other. And the only photograph that we have been able to see of it is kind of a three quarter view elevated, you know, the one publicity picture that they posted of it. Yep. Is that main uh, support still run across from one side to the other? So in my design, um, you know, I, I think, I guess I can make this a little bit longer of a story than what, you know, the, the answer really requires. No, that's okay. But, no, explain it all. Yeah, so so basically, um, being from the Midwest and from, you know, the Motor City itself, um, I kind of use the the, uh, the automotive industry as an analogy for my concepts. Okay? Sure, sure. And early in the design phase, um, I showed images of a 1960s Corvette, and then I showed the new Corvette that just came out. Right. And I had mentioned that, you know, this car is um, it's a classic car, and everyone knows what it is. Um, you know, we can look at any era of the Corvette and know that that's a Corvette. Um, right. right. And it stays true to its design. Nothing, you know, we, we, we see similar lines and similar, similar form, but it still looks like a Corvette. And so maintaining the essence of the design was important for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so basically... I wanted to protect certain elements that happened in the form of the table, um, little curves and su- subtle surface changes. But um, I also wanted to kind of get rid of the things that, for me personally, felt like you know it was there because there wasn't a, a clever solution for it. And so, sure. uh, in in my design, um, I wanted to basically eliminate that structure, or at least visually. So I I believe I. Um, shrank it, I guess, in dimension and, and lifted it up. So that should give it a more sexy profile from the side. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. I, like, and this is obviously not a question of right or wrong. This is just, uh, we have some uh, gentlemen on the site there that frequently work on gold crown tables. And so right. they, they have this, uh, the structure issues are all bounced around their head going, well, what about this? What about that? You know, as far so. <laughs> Specifically, the uh, the playing surface and the slate, uh, for example, underneath the, the previous versions of the table, there is a, a leveling system. Did you leave things right. like that? The structure, is that still intact, or did you attempt to redesign the in, interior structure of it as well? So, uh, as, as it stands right now, um, my design um, was more of just a formal, uh, what I would say, like a maybe a skirt, okay, mm-hmm. and that 
those innards haven't been addressed yet, and so I'm actually flying to Wisconsin in December to work with them to figure out the, the finer details. Okay. So, um, you know, the hope is that we would stay close to my design and then maintain that those those lines that I right. sort of designed. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, the, the reality is, <clears throat> you know, we want to make sure that the, the table's playable, and then those things are still there. It gives the you know the player an option to level the table in the event, and so on. Yeah, right. Well, and the thing is, it's because it's it's been their flagship commercial table, so it sort of has to, the the essence of what it's used for requires for it to be pretty stout as far as being able to be assembled and disassembled again and moved and leveled and things like that. So that was right. actually that's one of the things that makes that table so great, or at least in the past, compared to other brands and and models, was because that it was so stout, uh, commercial grade, if you will. So right. that was the question being raised: was you know, did you approach it with that in mind that this needs to be, or was it just strictly an aesthetic thing? You know what I mean? Be- well, I don't know how well, uh, how much they had you delve into that. You know. Well, you know, in this, I think I maybe took it further than most because, like I mentioned, that automotive analogy, um, the Brunswick Gold Crown table is an icon, and it always will be. Right. And so I think it would be <laughs> it would be rude as a designer to come in and say, this needs to go, and this is, you know, obviously they were doing something right when it's, you know, sure. five or six decades old now. Right. right. Um, so basically protecting those things you know, given items that need to be there. Right. Um, I wanted to just refresh, you know, what was going on. And sure. so sure. really being sensitive to what was already there. And did you did you take uh, any time to, when you were, you know, mulling over your final designs, did you uh, look at the competition at all? Um, or was this something that you just looked at <laughs> Brunswick's own previous models or, you know, What's going on inside yeah. Colin's head over there? Yeah, so it was kind of fun, um, actually, between the um, the actual competitors in the in the project because <clears throat> everyone was so excited and they wanted to keep it hush hush. So we actually, the three finalists, didn't actually see uh, each other's tables until the morning of the presentation. Mm, okay. um, however, you know, we did go to an extreme of of looking at you know what tables are out there and what tables are selling. You know, what the popular kind of market is. Okay, okay, yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, just paid attention to that stuff because, you know, as a designer, you also, you have to be careful that you don't create this, you know, trivial item that's going to be uh, a trend for something. You know, it has to, like I said, maintain that, right. that iconic. Yes, um, yes. Yes. It has to endure. Absolutely true. Exactly. Well, what do you think, what was the hardest part? pencil to the paper <laughs> <laughs> just beginning somewhere you know that that's you know yeah yeah no it was uh i do remember um the first initial meeting before anyone designed anything i remember sitting down in there and an image just popped in my head i mean i saw a curve i saw sort of a generic swoop of you know what i just envisioned and it just showed up mm-hmm. and um <laughs> and uh basically I was, I would say, I was a little late to start with my initial um, design phase, but once I got moving, it was like locked in. Like I yeah. couldn't, 
I couldn't veer away from it, sure. and I just stuck with the iPad, and I thought that that was the right move. So that photograph that we've seen of uh, the on um, related to the article that they wrote about it is that the actual table? Is that a prototype, or is that a, a computer generated photo? Yeah, so I actually um, modeled that table up, and I used um, <clears throat> specs from the existing tables that they gave us uh, for sizes. Okay. And so I, I basically modeled around that in, um, in Rhino, which is a 3D modeling program, mm-hmm. and then I rendered it in a, uh, a, a rendering program that allows it to look sort of realistic. Okay, so that, that's actually not a real actual table then, right? Correct, yeah, okay. it's, it's not. Okay. Well, no, that's fine. I was just wondering because on the photo, it looks like the the cloth on the rails uh, goes back all the way to the diamonds on the rail, mm-hmm. which is different than obviously other tables do. Was that intentional? Yes. And so <clears throat> my biggest critique with um, basically the vision of, of billiards is, and this, and, you know, this is all subjective, um, but my critique is that a lot of the game um, feels and looks as if it's still in that that early era, that sort of prohibition era. Even the new tables look old, um, <clears throat> and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's part of the nostalgia of the game. Um, however, I thought it would be fun to to play with that curve, and and mm-hmm. um, you know now that in, in contemporary architecture spaces are more dynamic, um, you know. It's rare that in a public realm we walk into a room that's actually square anymore. Sure. So yeah. I thought it would be fun to play with the curves of the table and create a unique kind of composition well, yeah. between the felt and the rail, but also maintain those lines that need to be there. And right. So, you know, just sort of a unique quality, I thought, that would refresh, you know, that the feeling of the table so it didn't... I like it. Like it was yeah, I like it, actually. I think it looks pretty cool. The, uh, the only concern... Uh, that was raised so far was just whether or not the diamonds themselves were had been moved, or it's not even the diamonds had been moved. They have to be. Uh, uh, the diamond has to remain a certain distance from the nose of that cushion, is the issue. So as long as that distance stays the same, then in the, you know, and the diamonds don't change position, then there's not a problem with it because all of the diamond aiming. Calculations yeah, will all you know, still match up, <laughs> and so yeah, like we, when I go out there, we're gonna obviously have to address issues like that, and uh, I'm hoping there's a way to to keep that, or at least the idea of that, uh, without you know destroying yeah. the the things that need to be there in the game. So right. yeah, no, that would be very cool. Like I said, I think I, I think I like I like the way it looks. I like that. Sure, it's it's different, but it's the same. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, let's see, what was I gonna ask you? Um, I asked you about the hardest part. Um, what is, well, did you decide on materials that it was going to be made of or finished in when you were making the design? Was that something that was taken into consideration or was it just, this is going to be black? I don't care what it's made of. So (laughs) that's a good question. You know, uh, Oftentimes, you know, in the contemporary setting, we see people uh, all over the Internet using interesting materials and all these crazy uh, man-made things, you know, plastics and, you know, printing now. Everyone's doing all this crazy stuff. But to me, you know, the material is not really as important 
as the actual, like, the feel of the table. And so I didn't want to address it because I still want to assume that we're going to use the materials we have been using. Yeah. Um, but I also, you know, I didn't want to over-engineer it and create this, like, well, we have to make this custom aluminum extrusion die for just this table. Right, right. You know, so <clears throat> trying to keep it simple. And, and I think that, yeah, we should still use the materials that, you know, Brunswick has. So Well, whatever has um, been working, yeah. Well, right, exactly. Which leads to the next question, though was the was the did it ever cross your mind when you're coming up with this, the design? This would cost too much, or this is cheap. As far as actual cost versus what it looks like, whether it looks cheap or not. Absolutely, I um the the legs uh, in particular were probably the most sensitive thing, and I think that that's true to any pool table. I mean, that's 90% of the design is the legs. Sure. Um, and so I wanted to create a more three-dimensional uh, design, but but not do it in a sense where, we, once again, you have to create this custom fiberglass layup mold. Mm. Um, so when I was designing it, I was careful to uh, lay it out to where we can still use, you know, pan, flat panel construction, but in a compound sort of manner so we create some dimension to it so right. i was cur- or, uh, sensitive to those kind of costs yeah in, yeah in the design well yeah i mean you sort of i mean you don't have to be but it's a major consideration as far as you know uh yeah and it saves them the the, the mystery of what it's really going to cost right Speaking of, uh, was the table, did you have in mind whether or not you wanted it to be a, 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 a ball return table or a drop pocket table? Uh, you know, and that's a, that's, that's a question I think that, you know, Brunswick would, would have to answer because what tables are selling for them, what works? Yeah. Um, I can see it being, you know, I think in this contemporary era it's i think it's great that they all go back to the the return so part of that bezel um you know that that the front bezel i think is really neat and so i think that it needs to to be there as as part of the design okay okay so in other words that was there was the return box area is included in the design as it is right now right okay good well i mean i think most people would probably probably uh, excuse me, prefer that anyway. So I just, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to the old style uh, drop pockets. But, uh, well, you know, geez, I can't think of uh, <laughs> anything else good to ask for you. Um, um, I'm sure that they're going to work out the engineering details in between now and the time that the table's finished. Um, right. And they said something on the video about uh, in, including the name of the school or the moniker of the school or your name or something along those lines. Has that been discussed as far as what and how? Yeah. So, um, as far as I know, the, uh, they had, they had promised to put my name on the table. And, uh, I mean, for me, I think, especially at my age, I, I feel like that's going to be a great, a great thing for my portfolio so i'm, I'm really excited for oh, that and i oh, think sure. it'll be on the uh, on the placard that's usually located uh on the breaking side of the table i believe ah uh, okay that could be it yeah so all right so they'll put it basically on the nameplate or what have you as of right now yeah i mean i'm, I'm just assuming but uh 
Yeah, that wouldn't be very polite, now, would it? If, if, if it was me, you know, I'd have them write it, you know, in big letters down the side of the table. <laughs> Crawl under it, you can see. So you could see it from across the room, you know, like yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. Are right, um, you intending to stay in this type of design work, or is there something you gonna verge into uh, constructing things yourself? Um, I, I I'm actually involved in quite a lot of things right now. Um, I still practice. Uh, Art, making artwork. Um, I'm actually in, a, in a, a big opening here shortly in the city, um, and I have a small design company of my own here in the city. Ah. Um, and so I try to keep keep myself involved in many of things, just because I feel like design informs art, and art informs design. Sure. And so, uh, as far as contracted work, I mean, I would be open to anything. But but as far as my general direction, it's it's just as long as I'm moving, I'm I'm pretty much happy. So sure. yeah. uh, I think I think just being in Detroit is is helping me out a lot. Yeah, I think I would I would think so. You know, there's certain cities that are better for uh, some things than others. That's for that's for yeah. sure. Um, well, let me congratulate you um, again for being having your design chosen there. Um, yeah, thank you so much. I I personally I like the way it looks. Um, I'm also a fan of the gold crown table, so uh, I think mm-hmm. it's probably as long as, like I said, as long as they keep their head about their wits about them when it comes to the structure, uh, then then it should be a fine table, uh, as far as I can tell, anyway. But you are right. um, added to the list of some very prominent designers that have been able to work with Brunswick on their tables, so. You should be very proud yeah, of very, yourself. <laughs> very honored. Very honored. Yeah, seriously, that's not something uh, that a company of that size takes lightly. So um, I mm-hmm. think that's uh, props to you, sir. And best of luck to you in the future with your future yeah, endeavors. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, do you want to give them your web address or something? Yeah, so, um, you know, my, my, my personal website is colinturry.com and that has most of my artwork. Um, but my, my company is tact, T-A-K-D design.com. Um, yeah, and I have access to my contact on both of those sites. So. Excellent. All right, sir. We'll have a, a great rest of the day and, uh, we'll talk yeah. to you again very soon. Great. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Take care. Yep. Hey everybody and welcome back to Pool on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. I'm your host Allison Fisher of NYCGrind.com and joining me this week is NYC Grind founder and creative director Jerry T. How are you doing JT? Yeah, doing great Allison. It's uh, always a pleasure to be on the show and uh, I'm really excited about Pool right now. There's a lot going on. Awesome. Well, I know we just had a, a busy weekend at Q-Bar, which is where the Predator Pro-Am Tour headed by Tony Robles was held uh, over the weekend of October 4th and 5th. It was the tour's 20th stop of the season. And 
JTU took fourth place in the in the open division tournament. How was that experience for you? You know, it was it was a good follow up from the previous week because I placed second in the amateur event, and that was kind of a breakthrough for me. I, I've really been struggling, um, and my focus really hasn't been uh, on playing pool because I'm really more interested in you know the behind the scenes, the following pool, making sure that. Our coverage is uh, up to speed to the best of our ability. So it's a challenge to juggle. And, um, you know, pool, playing pool always takes a back seat to our coverage because that's really our, our main priority with NYCGrind.com. But I love the sport of pool. Keeps me uh, keeps keeps me alive, keeps me enjoying the game as well. And uh, playing great on the average, you, know, fo- you know, the previous week at Mr. Q's, that was a confidence booster, and I came into this event feeling pretty confident. And I played a few really strong sets, and even you know the sets that I lost, um, you know I'm definitely showing signs of life. So I'm pretty happy, and I just want to close um, close the predator conversation with: there's no way that I'd be playing as good as I am without getting up to speed for the straight pool, uh, the American 14.1 Championships. I was held in Virginia at Diamond Billiards. Um, playing straight pool really kind of dialed in my cue ball control. And that's one of the reasons why I feel confident right now. Because my, my cue ball really is pretty much on a string. That's awesome. Yeah, after having having taken second place at Mr. Q and then taken fourth in the Open, for those who aren't familiar with the Predator Tour form- format, the uh, Open Pro Division is 10 ball non-handicapped, and the amateur side is a nine-ball tournament with a handicapping based on game spot. So you kind of have a different mentality going in to one versus the other a little bit just because you know you can't really afford to make any mistakes uh, you know, regardless. But we did have uh, Jason Shaw come out as the winner in uh, the Open Division, which I believe he also won one of the other recent tour events held there at, at Q-Bar. Let me hear your thoughts on, on Jason. He's been really, uh, really standout this year in a lot of regards. So what would, what would you like to comment about Jason and how he's been playing? Well, Jason is playing phenomenal. Jason um, has really elevated his game. Um, over the time that I've known him. I mean, he's a great player even when I first met him. You know, he came up as a junior champion, junior killer. I mean, he grew up knowing how to win. And he's always had a ton of confidence. And since I've known him, I've seen him place high at these events. He's really strong events against champions. He played played really great at the U.S. Open 9 World Championships last year. Came in second at the New Jersey uh, Eight Ball Championships, um, and uh, like a whole like a, a long list of strong finishes on a lot of different events. Played great in the Eastern States Championships, a new event. I mean, he just he's an explosive player, and he's been knocking on the door for for a while. And I've seen his game um, elevate just a little bit, and his confidence is higher, and the way he just floats around the table. It's really a joy to watch. So in my opinion, Jason Shaw is one of the most explosive players in the game today. He has one of the you know biggest breaks, 
and the most explosive firepower um, out there. Mike DeShane is up there as well. He, he has a really impressive break and a lot of firepower, and there's a long list of other players right now that, that, that are impressive. But Jason Shaw right now is playing with a certain fire and a certain hunger that, in my opinion, I think he's... I would, I would, I would say that he's top ten in, in in the in the USA for sure, and probably in the top five. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that you have now Jason Shaw living in the Northeast in Connecticut. You have Darren Appleton living in Pennsylvania, adding to the strong caliber of players. As you mentioned, Mike DeShane, Jeremy Sosi. And uh, a number of other. Rob Sias is playing great right now. He's another player with a you know explosive firepower, and uh, he's very confident. He's playing great. He's another player that uh, he's another person like Jason Shaw. Same situation where knocking at the door, seconds, thirds, this, that, playing really great against great, great players, and he's knocking at the door. And um, I know he's won some recent, you know, like. Some nationwide events, but the U.S. Open right now. I look, I look for for players like Mike DeShane, Rob Sias, Jason Shaw, Jeremy Sosi, as you mentioned, uh, and a long list of up and coming grinders, as well as some of the young up and coming players from the international scene. And we've had an opportunity to watch two great uh, Kuwaiti players um, play over the weekend. If you could yeah. just talk a little bit about that, I know you spent a little time. With um, uh, with both of the players, and if you could just elaborate on that, I'm very impressed. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the two players are actually from Qatar, and uh, Qatar. Uh, excuse mm-hmm. me. Excuse sure, me. Sure. Walid Al Hassan and Ali Al Mari are the two players that you're referring to, and they both have been hanging out in uh, New York preparing for the U.S. Open, and as uh, a lot of our listeners may know, Steinway here in Queens has been uh, the spot for a lot of players to warm up and get in gear. They have really tough weekly tournaments that these players have been competing in. And, you know, you've got uh, very tough local players for these guys to match up against. And what I thought was, you know, what, what was nice to hear is that these guys, they just, they just really want to have any opportunity they can to compete. And to keep their keep their games in motion, mm. so I think that's really uh, that sort of that sort of uh, motivation to just stay in the game and keep playing as often as they can, so they can go to the open as prepared as possible. So it's it's really nice to have the ability to see uh, all of these. Players from different cultures come here. We had Warren Kiamko also at the Predator Tour last weekend. He placed second to uh, Jason after Warren beat Jason in the hot seat match. So Warren's definitely always a threat and such a great gentleman as well. He's he's always really a pleasure to watch and uh, really... Um, a role model for a lot of the players coming up in the game, too. Absolutely. Warren is a great, great player, and he's been knocking at the, at the door at the U.S. Open for many years now, and he's right. loved out there. He's a great player. 
uh, he's another player that I think is actually one of the favorites to win the U.S. Open this year. I talked a little bit about the young up-and-coming players. You got Justin Hall. I didn't mention Justin. Some of those other players from not you know not around here that that I really love. Could, you know, I'm friends with them. I've had an opportunity to watch them play, and I'm blown away. Yeah, and, Skyler, uh, yeah, Skyler Woodward. Absolutely, Justin, Justin Bergman. Bergman, Justin Hall, and um, really, a, there's a lot of young uh, up and coming talent. I mean, Brandon Schuff right now is playing strong. He's going to be representing us uh, uh, for a long time here. You know, representing our country. He's one of the players that are going to be representing our country for for years to come. Os- you know, uh, Oscar's playing great. Oscar Dominguez, and just a long list of uh, up and coming players that are exciting. But the veterans um, are going to be showing. Showing, um, showing that they're kind of uh, the, the kings of the jungle and they're not going to be going away without a fight. Earl Strickland, five-time U.S. Open nine-ball champion, he's going to be uh, one of the players to beat, and Mika Eminem being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Um, I just want to say, wow, congratulations to Mika. Great, great player, great guy, uh, consummate professional, loves the game, loves straight pool. And, you know, he's certainly deserving of being inducted into the Hall of Fame. And Jose Perica, wow, I'm so excited that Jose has been inducted. In my opinion, I think Jose probably should have been inducted three or four years ago. um, Just because he was such an important factor. I mean, he was the leader of the invasion. He was here before any of these other top Filipinos that came and and really made a name for themselves. So he paved the way. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, it's okay. It doesn't matter when. I'm happy that he's in now. And congratulations to Jose Perica because, I mean, that man is just a... He is an OG, an original grinder. Most definitely. And uh, as many of you may know, the induction banquet ceremony will be happening in... uh, in conjunction with the U.S. Open, so that's very exciting for everyone going to be heading to the Open. You'll also have a chance to get a ticket to watch these uh, true living legends be honored in person. So it's, uh, that's going to be taking place at the Chesapeake Convention Center on Friday, October 17th. So that will be... Mika Eminen and Jose Perica, the leader of the Filipino invasion. So congratulations to both of them. Very, very exciting. So what to you, JT, bottom line is the most exciting thing about the U.S. Open. We're only a few days away. It's getting started on Monday, October 13th. This is going to be the 39th U.S. Open. The U.S. Open is, in my opinion, by far the most prestigious event in the United States of America. And it's certainly uh, up there with any world-ranking event. I know for a fact that to some um, international players, winning the U.S. Open is right up there with winning a world championships. You know, world championship. Um, There's just no question that the U.S. Open has a long list of great, great, great champions who have come through the ranks and have earned a name for themselves at the U.S. Open. And the U.S. Open has by far, and this is like, I've been everywhere, by far the greatest fans. I'm a New Yorker. 
I love the New York area fans. And when it comes to straight pool, the New York, New Jersey, those fans are the best for, for straight pool. For nine ball, Virginia has the greatest appreciation for these champions. And it's clear by the fans and the, and the customers that uh, uh, you know come on a regular basis to Barry Berman's pool room, Q Master Billiards, largest pool room in America. I think they have like 72 tables or something crazy. They have like 100, I think I have to have like 100 leagues playing out of there. Something crazy. And all along the different walls of the largest pool room in America is this great history of all the great champions. So... Every year, the winner of the U.S. Open comes back to Q Masters, and there's really like a celebration, and, and and all these players, these local champions, local grinders, local and international champions, local and international grinders from everywhere that are coming to Virginia to make a name for themselves can appreciate what whoever wins the U.S. Open has gone through to be able to win, because you're winning match after match. Of some of the toughest, I mean, they're the toughest field in the world. I, I'm one of them. Some of these world events, they're like 32 or 64 players. The U.S. Open for a long time has been 256 players. I mean, I know initially it started, I think it was like 60, it started with like 32 and 64 and it's grown. But it grew to 256 of the world's greatest players. And on average, they would get like over 20 different countries. And right now, for the first time, Barry dropped the field from 256 to 128 and I know it's going to be sold out and I know that the cream of the crop will be there so the traditions the history from pineapple giving giving out a rose to every woman who enters the arena to so many of the other traditions including the green jacket similar to uh, you know if a golfer were to win the US Open all these traditions um, really tie in to what it means to win and if you look at pool Across, like, I just across the board, forget about in America. Every pool player, like, wants to have a, a, a reason to win, a reason to play good. And ultimately, out of all the events that I know, the U.S. Open has the most meaning attached to being, you know, being the winner, being the champion. So I'm very excited about the U.S. Open. I think some of the changes are very positive. I look for the U.S. Open to be around for a long time. And on that note, um, I'll be out at the I'll be out there. So come come uh, uh, come visit, come say hi, and um, I guarantee you, while we're out there, we'll have some pretty deep conversations about some of the greatest pool we'll ever see. That's awesome, JT. Yeah, I'm very excited to be going back to the Open, and it's uh, it's really been every single year that I've gone. Spent some of my favorite memories in pool. And we now have a chance. Shane Van Boney is coming back as the two-time defending champion. Three-time winner overall. So he's got a chance to win it for the third consecutive time, which has never been done. And so it's going to be exciting to follow his progress and to follow uh, you know, everyone who's going to be gunning for their first ever title and again of course we're going to have a lot of other repeat champions who want to come back and and win it again so follow our coverage on nyc grind uh az billiards will also be out there and everyone uh, you know a lot of people on social media love to 
post and share their individual perspectives. So whoever's out there, definitely post to Facebook, Instagram, do whatever you can to share the stories of these players so that uh, more and more people can enjoy the game and enjoy the excitement. So on that note, I want to thank everybody for tuning in this week, and we're very, uh, very proud and happy to be um, involved again with the U.S. Open. So check out the coverage, look up NYC Grind on Facebook, and stay tuned for more, uh, more of the action, and next week we'll be coming to you from the U.S. Open. So stay tuned, and thanks again for everybody tuning in. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And as Allison mentioned, please like, please share, please comment, whatever you like. Let's keep this conversation going. Thanks, guys. Thanks again, everyone. And this is Allison Fisher signing off for Pool on the Grind here on AmericanBilliardRadio.com. I'm Andy Siegel, and you are listening to the Go Play Pool app featured room here on American Billiard Radio. It's Marianne here with another episode of the Go Play Pool app featured room here on American Billiard Radio. This week I'm talking to Andy Craney. He's the owner of the Blue Collar Bar and Billiards down in Pelham, Alabama. How you doing, Andy? Uh, not too bad. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. So why don't you fill everybody in on, on what Blue Collar Billiards is all about and, and a little history on the room, maybe? You know, we are, you know, kind of a small room. We've, you know, we've got 12, you know, there's bar box tables here, a few dartboards. You know, we just kind of want to be the, the local hangout type of room. It's nothing too, uh, you know, too quiet or serious. You know, a lot of pool rooms you go into and it's just kind of stuffy. You know, here we've, you know, got t- lots of TVs. Uh, you know, we like to watch sports. We do live music on the weekends, uh, you know, a lot of acoustic stuff. And, you know, we try to, you know, here recently have been trying to, uh, promote and push, uh, you know, money-added tournaments and, uh, you know, bring more consistent tournament play into uh, the Birmingham area and, uh, you know, bring some of the top players into the area. Nice. Well, yeah, it sounds, uh, sounds like, uh, you know, not average pool hall, but, uh, you know, where you can go and just hang out and play some pool and, and get some good vibes. And I like that. There's a yeah. lot of... Uh, there's a lot of those going on, and they're becoming more and more popular. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's good. Awesome. Well, uh, you, you mentioned tournaments and stuff, so what do you have going on down there? Oh, well, right now uh, I've got two big ones coming up. Uh, actually, next weekend we're doing a uh, you know kind of an APA style of tournament. We're actually limiting it to uh, six skill level and below in eight ball uh, just mm-hmm. to give, you know, your – your less experienced players a chance to actually play for uh, some big money. We're adding you know, 500 added to the pot. Um, right. Yeah, you know, so it'll give uh, some of the you know the newer 
you know, less experienced players actually get a taste of what it's like to go and play in a, you know, a bigger money added tournament and get that pressure and, and, uh, kind of sweat it out to, to yeah. take the, the big pots. Um, awesome. I yeah. like, I like that. I wish there would have been something around when I was a lower school level player. That's for sure. That's, that's, uh, that's cool. Well, it, it helps that I'm one of the six skill level and below players too, so I don't mind taking yeah. taking a shot at the money as well. Then I don't have to pay <laughs> it out if I win. <laughs> so, uh, you guys, you have any leagues or anything going on? Yeah, yeah. We uh, we currently host APA. Um, you know, we have a few teams out of here, like eight or nine teams uh, going out of here right now. Uh, and I actually recently purchased the uh, uh, tap league territory uh, for here in Birmingham. So we're uh, I go through training on that this week, and I'm hope, hoping to uh, try to get that built up here in the area. You know, I've heard a lot of good things about it. Um, you know, I'm not saying that APA is a bad league because I've played in it for years and enjoy it, uh, but I think that TAP, you know, has a lot of things that um, oh, comparatively the, the more competitive players will like it. I think people that want to get more serious about the game are going to enjoy TAP league a little bit better than the, the APA leagues. For sure, yeah, yeah. They they all definitely have something different to offer. So you know, I mean, depending on what skill level you are, you know, each one is, you know, more accommodating for for different levels. So yeah, that's that's cool. I I wish you the best of luck. I hope that uh, you know you, you can uh, get the the tap thing going locally there. That's that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah, I, I definitely hope so. And time to get some variety, I think. You know, the APA's sure. been the only thing around here for, for years and years, and I, I think yeah. that uh, people are ready for something new and, you know, get some variety in their weekly uh, routine. So Definitely, yeah. And, and it's always good to, to expand and, and, you know, they'll, they'll start to learn more, too, and, and start to enjoy enjoy the game more if there's more variety things to do. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, what else do you got going on down there? You mentioned they had dartboards and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah, we've got uh, four steel tip dartboards um, set up. You know, we're trying to. Uh, you know, there's a couple of local leagues that we're going to try to bring into here. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if we get some interest in that, we'll do we'll do tournaments in that as well. You know, and we're uh, actually just started here recently doing a little singer songwriter night. You know, it's not really game wise, but uh, they're trying to bring some. Some nice, you know, new music, young artists and, and you know, up and coming artists to uh come and, and sing and sing their originals on Thursday nights. Right. Um, That's cool. yeah. Bring a little flavor in here, I guess you could say. Yes. I it's always nice to uh have some entertainment going on in the background while you're playing pool. That's fun. <laughs> yeah, not not too loud either. You know, that's you yeah. Know, yeah. kind of a cross between a, a, a pool hall and a bar and Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times, you know, going and playing pool in a bar that has a live band on the weekends, you just you can't concentrate, and yeah, you know, it's a yeah. distraction. And with the with the acoustic music, it's it seems to be you know not as much of a distraction, and and really, um, you know, kind of helps you relax and find a rhythm and just play and enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not not quite as a serious of an atmosphere. Atmosphere, yeah. excuse me. I hear you. So, so uh, you guys, uh, do you guys serve food or anything down there? Yeah, yeah, we do. We uh, got some very good burgers, actually half-pound patty burgers, so they're huge. Um, You know, wings, uh, you know, traditional wings, boneless wings, uh, you know, all your typical, you know, bar appetizers. Yeah. Um, You know, about to add hot dogs and hopefully pizzas here soon to the menu as well, so. What's your favorite thing to eat? 
Me? I'm a burger guy. Uh, I love the burgers. We, we've actually got a, a burger that we call the Junkyard Burger. It's a uh, half-pound patty, uh, chicken tenders, um, mozzarella sticks, fries, ruffles, and like three different kinds of cheeses and marinara sauce all on one burger. Oh, my uh, Lord. So it's, it's massive. <laughs> but it, and, and combining, them, combining them, you wouldn't think it'd be good at all, but it's, it's, it's unreal. But it, that, sounds, it, that sounds like a meal for two for me. <laughs> oh, you know, it very very much so. I, I can't finish one on my own, that's for sure. Yes. <laughs> but it, it's interesting. It actually, everybody that's had it has loved it. So, you know, it's it's pretty challenging to to finish it off on your own, though. That's for sure. Yes, <laughs> definitely be leftovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, awesome. So, any anything else you got going on that you want to tell everybody about? Oh boy! Um, well, I guess I usually don't brag on myself too much, so I don't know. Um, you know, just I guess just trying to, you know, keep keep tournaments coming and plan new tournaments, and uh, you know, hopefully bring in people uh, that to, you know, show them what Birmingham's all about and what the pool scene around here is all about. I think we we've got a, a good little you know group of, of people that really enjoy playing, and I think that uh, you know, hopefully that we can uh, you know bring more people to the game and. And show them that it's it's not just about hustling pool or gambling or anything like that. Right. That there's there's more to it than uh, than just that. You know, there's a lot of friendships and connections that can be made through the game that uh, you can't really make anywhere else. Definitely, definitely. Well, I I wish you the best of luck, and and I love uh, you know hearing what you're doing down there, and and I hope that uh, I hope your local players continue to support and everything because that's what it takes. That's what it takes. We need. We need rooms to play, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Exactly. Definitely. All right. Well, uh, why don't you let everybody know where you're located and how they can get in touch with you? Well, we're uh, we're located just south of uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and Pelham. Um, it's uh, 2969 Pelham Parkway uh, in Pelham, Alabama. Um, you know, we can be reached. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Blue Collar Bar and Billiards. Um, or you know by phone at uh, 205-624-3018. And uh, you know, stop by and see us or give us a call if you have any questions about any tournaments that we're doing. All right, awesome. And uh, for our listeners, they're going to have a, a limited profile on the Go Play Pool app, so you'll be able to find their information and be able to get in touch with them through there. If you are in the area of Birmingham, Alabama, and you're looking for a place to play, then uh, get a hold of the guys down at uh, Blue Collar Bar and Billiards. And, uh, yeah, download the, the Go Play Pool app. It's free. There's a ton of good stuff on there, and and you'll be able to find your new favorite room, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah, thanks for getting on the phone with me today, Andy. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having us on. Awesome. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another Go Play Pool app featured room right here on American Billiard Radio.
Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is Mark Kentrell, and this is the Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, what a week. Uh, there's so much going on. The, you know, the U.S. Open is on right now, and I'm sure everybody's kind of uh, clued into what's going on there. Um, I was going to interview one of the players, but... It, it, it's tough because whoever I interview might not be still in the tournament uh, tomorrow uh, or, or later tonight, for that matter. So I decided I wanted to speak to somebody who is heavily involved in the industry and uh, found out that he has a little bit of news for me. So I have referee extraordinaire on the line with me, Mr. Ken Schumann. How are you doing this afternoon, Ken? Mark, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. No problem. And, and for those of you who don't know of Ken, you probably have seen him. The avid pool players, you've seen him somewhat, one way or another. He's, he seems like he's always around. And uh, so some, of, some of the things that you, you'll probably recognize his voice from, the action report. He's done a lot of commentary for the action report. Um, he has been the tournament director in the past for a number of years at the U.S. Open. And more, more recently, he has been the, the uh, American version of Michaela Tab, I guess, which is, I, that's a tough one. I don't even believe I said that. That's comparing you and Michaela. Um, the the Moscone Cup being a referee. And how many years did you do the Moscone Cup? Uh, Mark, uh, I've done the last two in Vegas. Uh, the first one was in 2011 uh, when we were at, uh, that was the last one at the MGM Grand. And then I just did the uh, one this past December uh, at the Mirage. That was the uh, 20th anniversary Moscone Cup. So uh, this one coming up in Blackpool is going to be my third. So it's, it's been announced. I think that's, that's special news, really, isn't it? You're going to Europe to be a, a referee for the Moscone Cup. And nobody knew. I didn't know about it. It was kind of a secret. Well, um, it, it actually, Mark, was just confirmed to me. Uh, Luke, Luke and Matram uh, had actually put me on notice a few months ago that there was a possibility that they were going to need my services. This was uh, probably uh, late July or, or early August. Um, and uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't settled at that time. Luke said uh, he just wanted to know uh, if I was available for the dates, and of course I told him that I was. And he said uh, I'll, I'll, I'll need to get back to you on this. And I said fine. And um, oh, I guess uh, you know six or so weeks went by, and uh, I think it was uh, just a little less than ten days ago. Uh, he did email me and said, yes, they do want me to come. It is official. And uh, that's when uh, I found out, uh, you know, I didn't uh, really go about trying to make any public announcements about it. I don't know that that's my place. I think that's for matchroom to do. Uh, but I did share the news, of course, with, you know, some of my close friends in the industry, so like Jerry Forsyth, uh, you know, and some of the people that, that, you know, know how important this is to me. But then when you and I talked the uh, day before, uh, you know, I uh, was very happy to be able to share the news with you because you and I go back a ways. We're good friends, and uh, I, uh, I knew you'd be excited. And uh, I'll tell you, I, I, I couldn't be more flattered and honored. I say this every time, but 
the Moscone Cup, to me, is the most special event in professional pool. Uh, and to be asked to go overseas to do it, represent the USA, uh, not only gives me a great sense of pride and accomplishment, uh, but it also um, it, it, it reinforces to me the, 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 that Matchroom um, has the faith in me to entrust me with, uh, with that type of an assignment, um, both here and now for the very first time in Europe. Well, you know, it's, it, this is, it is a huge compliment because it, on this show I've interviewed uh, everybody, just about all of the Moscone Cup team hopefuls for Team USA. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, my starting line, I mean, I, I guess it was, I was trying to ask them all the same questions and, uh, you know, to so we get some consistency, was what an honor it must be to be chosen to play, be even a potential in the top eight to represent your country. Now, having said that, they're, and, and they're pool players, and there's five people can make it on the team. With a referee, there's only one from each. Well, you know, um, you're, you're exactly right. I, um, it's, it, it, it just adds, it adds to the specialness of, of being chosen, um, uh, you and I, as well as everybody that that, that follows the Moscone Cup, uh, knows how much prestige it, it carries, how uh, worldwide it's observed, how there's so much at stake, uh, not necessarily monetarily for everybody, and, and 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 to be the one person out of everybody in this country that you know does what I do. Uh, to, to have been asked to do that now for the third time, um, it, it makes me feel just, I'm sure, the same way the players feel. Mark, I feel like I'm representing the USA, of course. I'm representing all the USA officials when I go there. And I'm also representing matchroom sport. Uh, it's, it's, it's just an unbelievable sense of pride um, and kind of... To, you know, just use a cliche. Uh, it's 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 the highest honor I think someone in my position in the industry can receive. It had always been, uh, you know, we all have our bucket lists of things we want to accomplish in our career. And when I first started out doing doing what I do, directing, officiating, etc., I had three three goals uh, that I wanted to accomplish, um, and one of which was was to direct U.S. Open. Uh, the other was to uh, work at a world championship. I've been fortunate enough to do both of those, but always the number one thing was I want to be a part of the Moscone Cup officiating team. And uh, the first time that um, uh, I was contacted to do that uh, was it came out of nowhere. I did not expect it. I mean, yes, I had. Uh, I had talked to Luke briefly. I think it was back in '09 when we were in Vegas, the last time the USA won. You know, talked a little bit to Luke. He knew who I was, and, you know, we, we talked a little bit more. And I told him, you know, I would love an opportunity. But, you know, I really didn't expect anything to, to transpire, certainly not right away. And then uh, in 2011, um, and I'll never forget this, Mark. I was actually at the U.S. Open, uh, directing the U.S. Open in Chesapeake, and um, uh, 
evidently Luke knew that uh, I was there and he knew Jim Weish was going to be there. And uh, he uh, asked Jim Weish to, to pass that news along to me. Well, uh, let me tell you, uh, my feet didn't hit the ground for about three weeks. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's... I guess this, it's more of a sense of it was it was such a you know a pinnacle for me to to finally be asked to do it. Um, it almost became a little bit you know surreal. I, you know, is, is this really happening? Uh, and uh, yes, fortunately, it did for me, and I was uh, very very thrilled when they asked me back again last year. Uh, and frankly, I didn't expect it this year because, you know, in the past, it's uh, they haven't brought me across uh, the pond, so to speak. And I imagine that's due to, you know, could be could be expense, could be availability of of uh, the other officials, uh, Nigel, or or whatever the situation was. But um, uh, it's it, it's a dream come true. And um, if uh, if I never do anything ever again in pool. Uh, I, I will go to my grave a very, very content person. Well, that's that's good. It's good that you appreciate it. But you, you do deserve it, and you're well respected by, I, I was going to say all the players, but you're never going to be respected by all the players. I, I mean, you know, somebody's always not going to like you, but I think for the most part, everybody appreciates what you do and respects you. Um, actually, it re- reminds me of the first time I ever saw you, or met you. Um, we, I was stood outside with my filthy habit, smoking a cigarette outside the tournament, and the doors to this place flew open. And these were heavy doors. I mean, they flew open like uh, like they were made of paper. And this guy came out with this bad look on his face. And, and, the, and the guy didn't look like he couldn't fight. He looked like he got muscles. He looked like, you know, a, a, a badass. Like he, he was getting ready to do some damage. And he threw his cue case and started hitting it on the ground. And he was screaming. I'm like, geez. And then you came out right after him. Which, you know, you're not Denny, built like Denny's Hatch or anything. Or Rodney Morris. You know, you, 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 you're not the biggest guy in the world. And you came out, hey, being a sportsman, sportsmanlike conduct means off the table as well. You better be knock it off or you're going to be gone. Which of those effects? And I thought to myself, oh, this little fellow's going to get himself in a world of fucking trouble. He, he's, he's, this guy just decides to turn on him like he did the cue. He's going to have a problem. <laughs> and, and to my surprise, he picked up his shoe and said, I'm sorry, Kenny, I'm just pissed off. And I think he said, go, go be pissed off somewhere else. <laughs> and he said, I'm sorry. And he put his shoe yeah. case under his arm and he walked off. I went, wow. So th- th- that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That You know, you've got somebody who's getting ready, it looked like, to uh, tear a car yeah. apart. And uh, he stopped and had told to listen to you. And obviously he was having problems, so. Um, that's, I, I guess that's a good thing. It's a testament to you and why you're there. Um, well, thank but, you. Thank, thank you for saying that. I just, just, just to, to, to add one quick thing to that, and then we can move on. I think one of the things, Mark, that's always stood me in such good stead in, 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 in my 
professional career here in pool is I'm a player too. I mean, I'm certainly not at the level of, of all these guys that, that you know, uh, are, are world champions. But oh, not, not even close. Not even close. No, I mean, I've but, seen you I mean, you're not. No, thanks, any, Cal. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Cal. But, uh, you know, I understand I understand the frustrations that, that, that can, can go through a pool player's uh, mind, um, you know, regardless of uh, how calm and cool and collected you try to be. So, you know, it, it helps it helps me to kind of diffuse situations sometimes, but uh at the same time there's a, a certain standard that has to be lived up to, especially at, at high profile events. Uh but what I've always tried to do, Mark, regardless of the level of the event, is to treat everybody equally and fairly. And I think that's probably the number one thing that's that's allowed me to build the rapport and the relationships that I've had with the players all these years is they know what to expect from me. And they know that everybody's going to get treated the same, whether their name is, is Efren or it's Joe Smith. Right. And that and that's I think that's important for for players to know that obviously this is this is a little bit of a, a tough situation. Being as that we've just announced that you're going to be the referee, I, a question I would ne- like to get into but can't is what who your picks? You know what will your picks be for the Moscone Cup? Who do you think is going to win? That's uh, as a referee, you you can't be involved in that. But Mark, I think first of all, I. Uh, I, I Neither neither team has been announced yet, so uh, that's going to certainly present a, a little bit of a problem in, in saying, you know, who who do you think is going to win? Um, you know, I'm certainly going to be honest and say, regardless of the teams, I'm an American. I'm going to root, you know, I, I hope America wins, but once I go out into that arena, uh, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I'm going to officiate the match the way the match needs to be officiated. Uh, never show favoritism. Um, so that's not going to be a, uh, an issue. And as far as, uh, you know, uh, picking uh, picking players or, or picking favorites, uh, I, I just don't think that that's something that either I can or, or, or should do uh, at this particular time. Uh, right. the only, the, I, I think the only safe, uh, politically uh, correct statement that I could make is that uh, whatever team is fielded by both sides, um, I, I, I think the Europeans need to are uh, probably going to be favored um, just based on the on the recent history. Mark Wilson has got the unique opportunity this year to pick the team ahead of time and have a full year to know what's going on. Um, did you think that's the right way to go, or do you think it should have stayed the way it was? Um, I'm, I'm going to have to, to kind of slide on that one, too. Um, what I What I will say is that my memory may fail me here, uh, but I think Mark sunk the winning nine ball in the first Moscone Cup. I'm not taught. Um, I sure know he was an integral part of it. Um, I was happy for Mark that he got chosen, and I was happy that Matchroom decided to at least try something different. Um, 
obviously the results are to be seen, and I think Mark had a uh, a very very difficult task, and I think whatever approach he decided to take and has been using throughout the year is something that he certainly gave a great deal of thought to, and it seems like it's been fairly well received, at least here in the USA, and, um, you know, we're just going to have to wait to see if this is a, a formula that is going to work in the future or just needs some tweaking. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've never been on that side of things in the business. So I, I, all I can tell is it's probably a very daunting task that he has. Well, he's trying, to, he's trying something that's so new. Well, it's so new, first of all, because the captain of Team USA has never actually known who the team was going to be until after the U.S. Open. And so that makes uh, obviously makes a difference there, and he's trying something new. But going above and beyond that, he's not just picking a uh, having the option of doing that. He's picking a bunch of youngsters. Well, I can't say youngsters. Younger players, players that you don't would not usually associate with the Moscone Cup. And you know, there's the, the naysayers that have the have thought that there's the inexperience factor that's there. And, and that's true. Um, they, they, there ain't no getting around it. There, there is some inexperience there. And we, we'll just have to see how that all kind of works out. You know, but I'm, I'm not going to pin you down on that anymore because I, that's a, it's a tough uh, conversation to have with a, uh, the referee. You know, I just don't think it's fair to, to anybody, to you, especially to try and ask you questions. Like that, because uh, I know, and and everybody who knows whether it be Howerton or Forsyth or Match, they know you're going to referee the match as unbiased, absolutely unbiased. No matter who you want to win, we know that you're going to make the call that has to be made. So, absolutely. Um, question for you: Sure. The, when you referee in the Moscone Cup, you you and uh, Michaela, take it in turns, right? I guess you referee one match, you referee the match. Yeah, we, the, way, the way we've done it, uh, Mark, is we alternate matches, and uh, Michaela will, will uh, almost without question, she will do the first match. Again, I don't know the format yet this year, but if it's like it's been in the past, the first match is usually the team event where all the players are playing, either one against one or in, in the past where they alternated shots, but... Um, that's normally the opening match, and we just we just rotate. So she would do matches one, three, five, seven, nine, eleven, you know, throughout how many days it took, and then I would do the um, you know two, four, six, or again, uh, no matter uh, how long it takes, we we switch off. But what uh, um, I'd like to add to that, and I'm, I'm very glad that you brought it up, is to let the uh, listening audience know that. We are actually both involved in the match at the same time. We just have different functions. If Michaela is presiding over the match, what I will be doing is I will be sitting, um, oh, 10, 15 feet behind the bra- where the balls are racked, you know, with a straight-on view of the table, uh, and I'll have a little table in front of me and a monitor, and I'll see the feed that, that goes out over sky. 
and part of my job, or or were it uh, reversed, and I was presiding, and Michaela was uh, sitting in the chair. Uh, the non-officiating referee is there to back up the presiding official by doing things like uh, keeping track of extensions used during the particular game um, to make sure that the breaking order is maintained and they haven't broken out of order, be it you know, uh, doubles or, or singles in alternate break format. Uh, if there was a close call that uh, the presiding official wanted to have uh, looked at on replay, I would, if I was the non-presiding official, I would look at the replay to help confirm or clarify the call that was made or the ruling that needed to be made. So um, it's not just a question of when it's Michaela's turn to ref, I'm just sitting on the sideline watching and enjoying the match. So we are both involved, and, and it's, a, it's a really good, good system. Uh, there's been one or two occasions. Uh, I know there was one last year where, where she asked me to make sure there was a, that the replay confirmed a foul call, and, 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 of course, you know, we did that. And occasionally, um, you know, when you're out there in the middle of that arena, um, you know, you've got a lot to, to kind of maintain and control, and sometimes even though there's a – um, uh, an electronic display board that shows whether the team has used the extension or the player has used the extension. A lot of times, you know, they only have a, a five-second warning before it's time to shoot or take an extension if you have one. And occasionally they'll need confirmation from me uh, that, you know, the extension is uh, is available or is not if for some reason the presiding official just uh, doesn't, doesn't have a chance to, to look up there quickly enough. So it's nice to be involved whether you're out there actually officiating or you're the non-presiding official, but we are both involved in every match from that standpoint. And it's a full day's work for you guys. It's not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a full day's work for the spectators. <laughs> you know, all we have to do is get there and sit down and watch. So, yeah, there's, uh, well, there's, you know, there's some prep work that's done, of course, uh, the day, the, the, you know, before the, 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 the Moscone Cup officially begins. There's some work that Michaela does uh, that I you know, participate with as far as setting up the table, uh, you know, drawing the line, the head string, the long string, making sure the rack is set properly, you know, things like that. Um, but, you know, again, when, uh, when play begins, we're, we're there before play begins to just make sure we've got everything square and uh, we're, we're in, in good communication with, with each other, um, you know, even as uh, small as, you know, getting mic'd up by the director and making sure all that works and standing in the right position. And, you know, it, it took me, uh, you know, a little, a little while uh, on my very first, uh, first cutback in 11, and, you know, I don't want to say a long time, but uh, the first time you work for a different promoter uh, in a different arena with different cameras and all of this stuff, uh, you, you kind of have to figure out, you know, who who are you looking for for your marks, uh, or uh, when they uh, the director is going to tell uh, tell the official that uh, we've got a TV timeout coming up, hold the players. Uh, it's just a question of familiarity, and now I have that at least for the, the, the two I've done here in the USA, 
Uh, I'm going to a venue that I've not been to before, so uh, there'll be just probably a little bit of getting familiar with the with the uh, logistics and the environment and all of that. But uh, yeah, it's not just uh, show up ten minutes before the match, uh, put your white gloves on, and let us go. Right. I I, uh, I think you're going to have a, a great time over there. I, I really do. We you know had a little bit of a conversation about it before, and you just what. What kind of plug do I need for to go over there with what what do, what do I need for that? I was thinking yeah. it was it, 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 well, it can't be for a hair dryer. No, for an elect for an electric razor and a phone charger. Oh, okay. That, there you go. You know that was that was the basis for the question because I actually uh, I, I failed to ask that uh, several years ago when I went to the Philippines and when I got there uh, I couldn't plug anything in. <laughs> so, I learned. I learned my lesson. Well, with, with your um, two times Moscone Cup, um, do you have any memorable moments that you can think of that was funny or something that was uh, scary out of the ordinary that you well, love to yeah, share? Yeah. Well, I, I, I got a couple. Um, I can tell you right now, um, at least to this point, and. Maybe I'll have a more memorable one, you know, after, after this one. But um, of course, my most, the most memorable thing to me was was back in 2011, which was the first time that you know I was asked to do this. But you know, notwithstanding that, um, at the 2011 Cup, um, I was the presiding official uh, when Niels Fion sank the Cup-winning nine ball. And I was standing right behind him when he did that. Um, and unbeknownst to me, also at the time, um, you know, the official uh, uh, matchrooms uh, photographer, J.P. Parmentier, who is just about the best in the business as far as I'm concerned, um, he, uh, you know, uh, took a lot of pictures and he wound up actually making a little book um, about the 2011 Moscone Cup. Uh, and it was a beautiful book, and he published it, and I was fortunate to get a copy. And in there was the picture of Niels sinking the winning nine ball with me standing behind him. And um, that's that's something that certainly uh, I'll never forget. And then... Um, I would have thought it, they would have photoshopped that out, to be honest with you. I mean, they're trying to sell books, right? Well, yeah, I guess. You know, but, um, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I, I can't just I can't just have you on the show and not give you a hard yeah, time. Yeah, you give me a hard time. Well, you, well, the, the next the next little memorable moment is is maybe a little bit more on the on the humorous side, um, and um, I think I don't know if it was last year. I think it was 2011 because uh, unfortunately last year's cup uh, didn't last very long. I think it only did about three matches, but. Uh, uh, I, I think it was 2011, um, so it was Michaela's turn to ref, so she's out there standing, you know, in between, the, you know, she's at the at the uh, head end of the table, and she's waiting for the uh, announcements, you know, John McDonald is uh, making the intros on behalf of Sky and Matchroom as they're going live, and then um, what what the last thing he does before he brings the players out is he announces who the official is for the match. So uh, Michaela is standing out there, uh, you know, and naturally uh, all eyes are on her. <laughs> and John McDonald announces that 
And your official presiding over this match is Ken Schumann. <laughs> and Michaela just, you know, she just smiled and all of that. And John, because he's got his back to me or to her at the time, because he's looking into the camera. And, um, you know, I mean, that stuff happens. And it was just kind of a kind of a little bit of a humorous moment. And the crowd all chuckled about it. And we, we had we had a little bit of a laugh about it. So that was kind of kind of neat and uh, kind of interesting. I, I tell you, one of my favorite moments from the referees aspect of the Moscone Cup was, and, I, and you were refereeing that year as well, I remember, um, somebody had a bag of chips in the audience, and uh-huh. she, <laughs> she thought it was a bag of nuts, and Johnny was yeah, yeah, playing, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and there was this rattling that went on, and all of a sudden she, she goes, don't eat your nuts yeah. while the players are on their shot. Uh-huh. And uh, it took a second for everybody to just go, oh, that sounded funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even Johnny was walking around the table laughing and she was snickering. But I guess that's uh, that's one of my favorite moments. And actually, my, my lady Jessica, you know Jessica, she... Oh, yeah. uh, uh, she said, I want one of those Michaela Tab shirts. She has those uh, T-shirts that she sells with the white gloves on the back, like her hands behind the back. It's like that. Uh-huh. white gloves and a picture yeah. of her on the front. Yeah. And I had to sign it to to Jessica. I gave it mm-hmm. to her for a Christmas present. Yeah. And uh, she put on there, Jessica, don't eat your nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I guess I, I'm going to tell you one more little story here. Um, if, 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 if I may, because uh, it seems like you've just uh, sent me in that direction. This one's a, maybe a, a, a bit embarrassing for me, but I also want to preface it by saying this is how you learn lessons, and this is how you, you actually can continue to improve. Mark, you know I've been doing this a long time, and I still believe that I can get better and better and better at what I do. And uh, I will say this, and I'm not just saying this, because of uh, who she is and, and, and who she represents. But I do believe Michaela is the best official uh, that I've ever seen. Um, and I'd like to, you know, hope to be, uh, you know, in that category um, at least at some point if, if uh, people uh, do or don't think that, that's fine. But, but you know, I certainly aspire to, to reach those levels. So anyway. Well, you've, all, you've already kind of reached that level, Kenny. Well, now, she well, is the most famous, well-known, uh, probably the best-known pool official and, and Q-Sports official in the world. Uh-huh. Very popular, and yeah. uh, sweetheart of a woman. And, uh, yeah, and, 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 you know, she, she, she does a good job. Yeah, but anyway, so, uh, so this was uh, at my first cup in 2011. And I don't know, well, it was maybe mid or second way through the first day. And, of course, you know, we wear the white gloves and all of that. And, um, you know, when you're just standing there as an official, let's say I'm just standing there uh, during a timeout or I'm waiting for the players to approach the table or, or something like that. Um, uh, so, you know, you, you, what you certainly don't want to ever do is put your hands in your pockets because it doesn't look professional. So I had gotten into a habit over the years, and, and I don't wear white gloves at many of the events I do, um, but certainly you do it at the cup. 
and I, you know, I've worn them in the past. So anyway, I'm standing there, you know, uh, you know, behind, right at the center of the table, waiting for things to continue, and I clasp my hands in front of me, right below my belt. If you kind of get the picture of where my hands are, you know. Right. Yeah. I guess. Yep. I guess. You I know, it. it would be it would be the equivalent of clasping your hands behind your back, but I did it in front. And uh, that was my, like, resting position because I didn't want to put my hands in my pocket. I didn't want to fold my arms. That doesn't look professional. And for me personally, to hold them behind my back, it's just not comfortable for me. So, anyway, uh, you know, after, you know, I I did that, and then the match was over, and Michaela calls me over on the side. We we went up for a break for a second. She she says, um, you know, in her lovely Scottish accent, you know, can I make a suggestion to you, Ken? I said, absolutely. Sure. She says, y- you shouldn't have your hands in front of you like that with your white gloves on. Um, you might be giving the impression that you are playing with your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, just the way she said it with that, that, that you know, Voice yeah. and accent, and, and, and of course, at the time, you know, she's, she, you know, I'm probably, she's smiling at me and and all of that, and just kind of giving it to me a little bit. But at the same time, it was it was great advice, and it was something I never would have consciously thought of. So just something like that, even though it was kind of a very lighthearted moment, and probably not another person in the world would have been able to to to, to see the maybe uh, lack of professionalism that that showed other than her, but she told me that, and I thought and it made so much sense to me. And from then on, you know, I had my hands either down by my sides or behind my back. But those <laughs> are, you know, I, I, got, I, got, I got a lot of, uh, a lot of good, uh, good information from her, uh, you know, that I, I wasn't expecting. <laughs> Well, the thing is, it's funny. It makes it funnier because she's such a class act. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, for her to say something like that, maybe she was lightening the mood. Maybe she was just, you know, helping you out, trying to take a little bit of the edge off for you, you know, a little bit. Oh, I, I think I think both of those both of those assessments are correct, Mark. Um, she definitely wanted me to correct that behavior, but. She she said so in a manner that it didn't seem like anything other than lighthearted, but also here's a little tip for you, Ken. And, well, um, and you, you know, working with this is there's no disguise. I've said it many times. There's no disguise. I, I think Barry Hearn is my hero. Okay, I, Barry Hearn and what he's done with promoting. I'm a tiny, tiniest little speck of a blip of a promoter. But, you you know, whatever you do, you can, maybe you admire Michaela and what she does, how she presents herself, because that's your arena. My arena is promoting. I think Barry Hearns is a, a, a genius at Metro, and Luke Riches, yep. Luke Riches is the super guy, you know, and, mm-hmm. and he controls, you yes. know, a lot of that Moscone Cup. I know Barry's the boss, but, you know, it, it wouldn't happen as good as it does without Luke. And for you to go into an arena where things are done, I think I think Luke told me 
gave me a number of how much it costs just to produce the Moscone Cup, and it's a number that's just foreign to me. And they do things right. They do it in a different way than everybody else does. I'm not saying anything about Pat Fleming. Accusats or talk. But we know there is a, a mountain of difference in production between any of those and the Moscone Cup production. Oh, there's no, you know, there's there's no secret to that, and and it's it's absolutely true. And I don't think there's a more you know professionally operated uh, event than the Moscone Cup. What 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 impressed me so much from the very first time is how structured, how regimented it is. Everybody is where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be. They all, everybody knows their their role, their function, their position. They work as a team, uh, and that's why it seems to go off so smoothly. It's it's the ultimate professionals, as far as I'm concerned. And, right, and you, um, get, and you get thrown into the middle of that, being... And again, it's not, it's one of the things I'm saying, I'm not, not against anybody, including yourself, but... You've never been in a, prof- a, a production that's been as professionally done as the Moscone Cup, and before you did it, right? Would I no, be right I, to say that? You you would be correct. the The only thing that I ever did that came close to that level were the couple of IPT events I did back in two thousand and six. Just because, and that's just because there was so much money spent on the production at the time and all of that, but. Um, you know, at that time, I had not had any exposure to match room, so I had nothing, you know, to compare that to. Um, but the match room uh, promotion and um, the entire way that they go about it, it's, it's in a class by itself. To me, it's the gold standard. Um, it's, it's so easy to blend in, and I think... It took me maybe half of the first day in 2011 where I felt like I had been part of it for a long time, and, and, and they all made me feel so welcome and so part, much part of their family. Um, you know, they, they, they kind of, uh, you know, opened the doors for me and said, welcome to our home. We're happy you're here. So I didn't feel like, you know, an outsider. Um, I felt like I still had to prove myself, and I'd be lying if I told you that I didn't have nerves the first year. Of course, I had nerves last year, and I'll have some again this year. It's just like pool players, but you control them. And actually, most of the nervousness occurs before things get started because you just want to make sure that you don't forget the things that you're supposed to do because you're working for people you, you haven't worked with that much before and this and that. But once, you know, once the first cue ball is hit, uh, you know, my focus is just on the job at hand. I, I mean, I, 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 I'm very uh, good at being able to kind of uh, have tunnel vision and just be able to concentrate on what my assignment is and not be awed by the spectacle that I'm a part of. Right now, have you have you ever been to? Were you were you in the military? No, no. I actually okay. I, I I worked for the U.S. government, but uh, as a civil servant, not uh, in the military. Okay, okay. I, I, have you ever been to England before? No, I have not. 
Oh, I good. Have not, I have never, I've never been to Europe. I have been to many, many countries uh, through my uh, working government career, um, and I've been to Manila to uh, do the world championships there, uh, the world 10 ball, the one Darren one in 2008, but um, I have not been to Europe. So this is also going to be a, a big first for me as well. But I'm going there to do a job. I'm not going there to uh, have, a, have a vacation or a sightseeing tour or anything. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the job I'm being asked to do comes first, and uh, everything else will be secondary. Well, you might want to uh, see about maybe extending your vacation for a week, maybe. Um, I think... Uh, Don Wardell and Mark Wilson are planning on doing that. And yeah, I'm, I'm not, all over. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do that just due to some things I've got to deal with back here. Um, but uh, I am hopeful that uh, maybe this will not be my one and only time going there. I, I never make assumptions about it, Mark, uh, every, uh, even for here in Las Vegas. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't assume that um, I'm going to, to be their choice. Uh, I'm always hopeful that I am, but I, I treat each and every one of these as, as the highest of honors, um, and it, it just it makes all of the, the hard work that I've put into becoming uh, proficient at my craft uh, well worth it when these are the kind of rewards you get. Right. So, but, uh, but I know you and I talked a little about some of the things to do in the Blackpool area, and of course this is going to be the first one for me where uh, the Moscone Cup is actually being played in the evening, because as you know, when it's here in Vegas, it's 11 in the morning till 4 in the afternoon, so the evenings are free. Now it's going to be the opposite for me, um, and um, hopefully uh, I'll have a little time uh, with... Uh, uh, during the day to, to maybe uh, take advantage of the opportunity that uh, that I am, am there in Blackpool, and you told me a few things of, already that have, are of interest to me. don't know if I can extend the stay this year, but um, hopefully maybe uh, there'll be another opportunity in the future. Well, dress warm. That's all I'm going to tell you. Yeah, uh, I, I'm already planning to uh, to do that, and uh, I've got some winter clothes shopping to do. Uh, when I get back from my, my little trip here next month uh, to the East Coast, uh, I'm definitely going to have to get some uh, some heavier clothes. What are you doing on the East Coast? Um, the uh, uh, AccuStats uh, Make It Happen 8-Ball Invitational. It's the uh, uh, November uh, 6th through the 9th. It's in New Jersey. Oh, so you're going to be the referee for that? I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the official. I'm the tournament director, and I'm one of the commentators. I've done, we've done, this will be the fifth one. Pat, Pat invented this in uh, 2012, uh, and I've done all of them for him. And um, we're, uh, we're doing another one in November for 8-Ball. Um, so uh, I'll be going out to do that. And then when I get back from that, I've only got roughly two weeks before I, I have to head to England. That's fabulous. Same busy. Yeah. And, uh, I'm, you know what, I'm going to leave it there with you. And with the only thing is, uh, you're one of the good guys in pool. Uh, everybody, you know, uh, everybody seems to not have a bad word to say about you. Uh, I, and I'll uh, I'll back all of those uh, statements up. And I think you deserve to uh, have the pick to go over there. Because we didn't think you were going to go over there. 
because it seemed like all they were only getting you to referee matches in America. And then when you told me you were going to Blythe, I'm like, wow, that's 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 kind of a big deal. But I I think you deserve it, and I think uh, anybody who knows you are uh, very happy for you. Well, Mark, thank you so much. That means a lot to me, as does uh, your you know your friendship and uh, the bond we've built over the years. Um, and uh, just to, to hear you say that, it uh, it, it really makes me uh, feel good inside, and I uh, I definitely appreciate it. And uh, no, no I'm, I'm I'm really uh, I'm really pleased that uh, you uh, asked me to to come on American Billiard Radio here today. Um, I, uh, I I I couldn't have had a better a better guy to do it with than you. All right, you you you're a nice guy. It's the same that. Um, well, that's it. Thank you, Ken. I, I appreciate your input, your stories, your insight, and uh, letting everybody learn a little bit more about the uh, tournament director referee extraordinaire. And uh, <laughs> I, I, hopefully we, we'll have a chance to get you back on either right before or maybe right after the Moscone Cup and uh, tell us, uh, uh, give us a little bit of a, a report from behind the scenes. I'd love to do that, Mark, at your service whenever you need me. Thank you. Well, that's it. No problem. That's it for uh, this week's Legends and Champions report with myself, Mark Cantrell, on American Billiard Radio. We had the, uh, I guess, one of the superstars of the the refereeing and tournament director business. You know, these guys don't get a lot of promotion. They kind of work behind the scenes a lot. And you, unless you're at tournaments on a regular basis, you may not know even know who they are or what they do. A lot of it is selfless work. They don't get paid a lot of money for the most part, and uh, they do it for the love of the game. And they've got a thankless job. You know, any of you tournament directors that are out there, I don't care if you're doing a local, regional event, you're a tournament director... You're catching shit from people for whatever reason, and you're just doing your job, and you're doing it for little money, and everybody, the players, promoters, etc., should appreciate these guys a hell of a lot more than they do. I know it's not easy sometimes if things aren't going your way, but nobody's out there, I don't believe, to cheat anybody or rig a game. They're, they're there to serve the players and make tournaments happen. So, um Next time you see one of your uh, tournament directors in your local area, shake your hand and thank them. You know, just say thank you for what you do. Because a lot of times they may not even be getting paid a whole. So, um, and we just heard from uh, the number one uh, in the United States, it appears. I mean, if he's, uh, you know, being picked by Moscow by Metro Sports, you know, he's definitely up there. So, thank you all for listening. And uh, until next week. On American Billiard Radio, the Legends of Jeffrey's Report, this is Mark Kentrell. <laughs>